when I look back on it now, I thought it was such a negative conversation. And I remember being so upset and so distraught and feeling so alone because my husband was gone and I had no family around. And I just remember feeling the worst I'd felt in a long, long time. And surrogacy sounded so taboo to me. And it felt like he was telling me you're a failure. Um, you can't carry a child. Most women should be able to do it. Not, he didn't say any of these things, but that's what I was hearing. When I think back, I remember like saying to my husband, like I, this doctor, I can see, I literally can remember like where I was the time of day. Mm. I can picture his face. There's so much about it that like that conversation just upsets me in so many ways. And I know it wasn't meant to be that way. At the end of the day, I have my son because of that conversation. And so I'm, you know, I have mm -hmm. to thank him for navigating me down that path and, and kind of mentioning an option that I never thought was possible. You're listening to Breaking the Ice, a podcast and community created for wives and girlfriends of professional hockey players, but since has turned into so much more. Stories shared by women around the globe who come together for a sense of connection and community. You may be in the sports industry, a hockey parent, an athlete, or a person who just enjoys podcasts. But I can promise you, you'll be inspired by these women every single day while we evolve through the tips, tricks, do's, and don'ts for all things hockey. And guess what? So much more. For women, by women, but especially for a hockey community. So lace them up and tune in for a new episode every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. This is a longer episode today, but it is honestly worth every minute. I'm super excited for you guys to listen. I wanted to just kind of hop on here briefly for the intro and just mention that I am running a Black Friday sale on the retreat. So this is going to go through Sunday. So if you have been thinking about joining in on that, now is the time to bite the bullet, grab your friends, talk to them, and it's only $300 to reserve your spot right now. So let me know if you have any questions. I'm happy to chat on the phone too if you want more information or just talk via Instagram. Um, we have such an amazing group and I would love for you to join us. And also I wanted to mention that starting December 1st, I have a 12 days of giveaway that I am hosting on the Instagram page. So there are so many amazing businesses within our sports world that are collaborating with me on this giveaway. And I cannot wait to share with you guys. There are going to be some amazing prizes and you can potentially use these prizes, which are all going to be gift cards to get some of your Christmas shopping done. So I just wanted to mention that super briefly, but today on the podcast, I have Tara O'Reilly joining me and Tara is honestly such an inspiration. She is such a strong woman and she comes on the podcast today and shares about her fertility journey that her and her husband have gone through together over the past four to five years. Tara shares her experience about her miscarriages and she also shares about her journey with IVF. We also share a not so common bond, which is surrogacy. So for her firstborn child, Tara actually went through a surrogate, which she kind of shares her story on the podcast and I don't want to ruin anything. So you'll have to listen to find out. 
Um, but I actually also have a connection to surrogacy and you'll also have to listen to the podcast to find that out. It's kind of a long story, hence why we were chatting for so long. We just both had so much to, to add and to talk about with each other. So it's a very natural, authentic conversation that we had and I hope you enjoy. She is honestly such a beautiful light and I'm super grateful that she chose my podcast to share her story on. So Tara wanted to come on and really just open up about this to help other women in general and our and you know in our lifestyle that might be going through fertility struggles to know that you're not alone and you can always reach out to her on Instagram and she would be such a supportive friend if you are going through a hard time and need a listening ear. I literally am running off of three hours of sleep because my son's discovered how to climb out of his crib. No. Yes. It's been like going on for a month, but he was doing it and then getting back in the crib and going to sleep. So we weren't like making a big deal of it. And then now he's doing it and sleeping on the floor. I had to sleep in his room last night and all night he was like, ear pointing to my ears, nose, eyes, and (laughs) saying colors and shapes. And yeah, it was a disaster. So how old is he? He is 20 months. Okay. I'm like, at what point do I need to prepare for this crib crawling thing? (laughs) Okay. So I was Googling it because I was like, he's a big boy for his age, but I'm like, this kind of seems young. And everything I found said that it's pretty young. Like most kids start doing it like in between two and three. Okay. Um, so I hope you don't have to deal with it this early. Cause I think he's too young to like transition to a toddler bed. And I don't want to do it when I'm doing two months, because that would just be a disaster. <laughs> oh my no God. No. And like, just the fact that they can like get out and like leave their room at any point. It's how do they even listen at that age to, to not do that? Like, I feel like they would I be know. wandering the house. Literally. That's what it said online. Like you can't reason with them at that age. So like, it's not like I can teach him like, Oh, you need to stay in bed. If you get up in the morning, like I'll give you a treat or something. I can't even tell him like bribe him. He just, could you try to like, move no. him into a pack and play? Like, I wonder if that would. So he knows how to climb out of the pack and play already. Seriously. Um, yes. He like, he puts his, it's crazy watching him. He literally just hikes his leg up on the corner and rolls himself out. <gasps> did like the first time he did that, did like that scare the shit out of you? Well, yeah. Like, and the first time he did it, like he never fell and didn't make a noise. So it wasn't until I looked in the monitor and I was like, Oh my God, in his bed. And then I turned like the, like turned scrolled the room with the camera and he was sitting in the corner, like playing with the door stopper behind the door that makes like that. And I was like, Oh my God, how long has he been doing this? And then I went in and just picked him up, put him back in and he was fine. But I think it's been going on longer than we probably realize. <laughs> that would be really scary to look at the monitor and they're not in the bed. Oh, totally. That's and especially like I always get so paranoid when my husband's gone. Like in the house we're in, he, my son's like it's like a split level, so he's down below and we're up top. And so I'm always like checking constantly. Yeah. Like that would have scared the shit out of me if I actually thought someone came in and took him, or if it was like the middle of the night or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, thank God I was still up and found it out or like you found him. Yeah. So, oh my God, the things I have to look forward to. (laughs) Oh yes. And so soon I'm sure. 
Cause you, yeah. I think I saw your son's turning one in a couple of days, right? Yeah. On Thursday. And it's crazy. Oh Cause he's pretty like physically advanced. Like he's not talking or anything yet. And like, he's actually not walking, but he's been crawling uh-huh. since five months. And I'm like, okay, dude, let's go. I'm sick of the crawling business. Cause he's just like, it's annoying. Cause I keep having to like pick him up and like moving him. And I'd rather yeah. him just walk. Do it himself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so my daughter didn't, Kala didn't walk till like literally just after she turned one. I bet that'll happen with your son too. Cause she yeah. was an early crawler and then she would even pull herself up and like maneuver around, but she was like more timid to let go and walk. Yeah. He's like and taking then my, steps. It's weird. It, like he he'll take like five steps and then he like gets uh, scared and fall and like sits down and I'm like, you can walk. Like, I know, I literally know you can. He's just scared. He probably too. It's like, so comf- it's comfortable to crawl. Right. It, so he's just like, oh, it's so much just get down and crawl. Yeah. Exactly. And try to do it this way. That's what exactly what Callow was like. And Cam never, my son didn't even crawl. He like army crawled and then just went straight to walking. How old was he when he walked? He was 10 and a bit months okay. when he walked. Okay. It's um, so interesting. Like how different all babies are. I know. And I remember like calling our pediatrician in the States being like, I think something's wrong. Like he's not crawling. And she's like, well, Tara, he's in the 99th percentile for everything. Like he's a big boy. He's almost 30 pounds. Like I doubt he'll crawl. I'm like, oh, okay. Like I didn't really think that was a thing. She's like, I'm sure he'll be walking soon. And literally within like a couple of weeks he was walking. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm kind of excited. I know like a lot of moms say, Oh no, just you wait. I'm like, no, you guys, like, I understand if he started crawling at like eight months, like, which is, I feel like average yeah, for seven months or whatever, but I'm like, he's been crawling so since early. five months. Like I'm done. He's pulling up and standing and everything. And I'm like, just go. <laughs> he will probably take off when he like finally feels comfortable. Cal oh, yeah. was like that. Like she was so timid and she would just She'd take a couple steps and then she'd just be like, oh, it's easier to crawl. But when she finally decided she wanted to go, like she never, people saw her like three days later and was like, she, what, she's walking now? Yeah. <laughs> like everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, just started a couple of days ago. Like finally she just took off. So I'm sure it'll be like that. And it is fun when they finally start to walk because then it makes it easier for you and it's easier to go out. Like you don't always need to bring the stroller because they're so adventurous and they just want to do it on their own. But yeah, he does not stop moving. I don't know if your son is like that, but it is. Yes. Like, so it's I'm like, boy thing, I think that's what I heard. I thought I'm like, oh, this is just how like all babies are. But my friends that have girls are like, no, like the- <laughs> it's definitely a boy thing. Like my family will FaceTime us and my daughter like loves to be on FaceTime and like dance and get all the attention. And Camden won't even sit still. He has like no interest in looking at my parents on the phone. <laughs> He's like, like, I'm doing this. I'm over here doing this. Like my dad's like, he really isn't interested in us. I'm like, no, he just doesn't stop ever. (laughs) Oh man. You're gonna, you're gonna be in for one once you're, are you, do you know what you're having? No, I, we decided not to find out. Okay. Well, I think that's like, I think that's okay because, okay. I do not know how people do that for their first or their second because. Okay. I was just going to ask you, but I'm assuming you found out. Oh yeah. I paid like I was $200 we found out with both them. Yeah. I was like, I, I couldn't not, especially when I found out I was pregnant with Kala. And then when I got to like 12 weeks and knew everything was going pretty good, I was like, I have to know I'm having kids four months apart. There's no way I can't be prepared. Yeah. And how fun is that to have one of each? Did you like freak out when you found out you were having a girl? Oh yeah. I thought it was a boy. 
I'm with like, so obviously with IVF and everything, you can find out what your embryos are if you want after the genetic testing. Um, and because they thought that our issue was basically egg or sperm related, we found out like we had majority male and there was only a couple females. So I was certain, even though Calla was natural, that she was male. Cause I was like, oh, we can only make boys. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when I found out it was a girl, I would, I think I had convinced myself so much that it was a boy. I was super shocked. I'm like, oh my gosh, not at all prepared, but I think it worked out the best having a boy and a girl that way. I think if it was two boys, I don't know, they, maybe they would be compared to a little bit more or like, this is terrible, but I lie to a lot of people and just say they're <laughs> twins. So I don't have to tell our story. Yeah. And it's easier to get away with when I have a girl and a boy than if they were both boys and Cam's huge. So <laughs> yeah, I told you, you're like, yep, they're twins. We're I, not I get into like, this. I told this older couple one time and the lady was like, oh, well, I sure know who got all the nutrients in the womb. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. Just he's huge. He looks like he ate all the food and she didn't get any, I guess. You know what? I have to say that I feel like all, all hockey boy babies are massive. Like all of my yes. friends, boys in this hockey life are huge. It's so true. I feel like that. I've noticed that too. Any girls that I know that have boys, they're all like, and even if they're not tall. They're like solid boys Yeah, or like they're tall. I've never seen like a little, like lanky, tiny hockey player son. I know it's hilarious. I mean, Crosby was only like eight pounds, one ounce, I think, but he chunked up quick. Like I remember his eight week appointment. I think he was like already 16 pounds or something like something though. Well, like eight, did you go early or I was a week early? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's still pretty big Camden. Um, we had to, he had to be induced almost a, like a little bit less than a month early because our surrogate got preeclampsia and he was seven, nine at 36 weeks. Oh, yeah. God, Imagine. Stop. Yes. My poor surrogate, like she had two little girls of her own before and they were both like six fourteen and like six ten, And then the seven pound, like nine ounce boy. I thank God it was C-section. She didn't have to birth him naturally full term. He probably would have been like 11 pounds. And how big was Kala? She was tiny. So with my like issues that I have, my clotting disorder, one of the main things is um, like growth restriction sometimes because of the blood thinners I take. Um, so I had to be induced at 39 weeks and she was six, eight. Okay. Yeah. So if I would have been like, I was seven, nine and I was a week late. So essentially she's, and she's built like me, I would say if I would have went full term, she probably would have been around seven, nine, which is pretty average for a girl. Yeah. But, yeah. um, yeah, she was only six, eight at 39 weeks. So. Oh my gosh. Okay. And well, I feel like 36 weeks and huge. That's, that's insane. Like, could you imagine if she had to go four more weeks? Like how I know. And like <laughs> the plan was cause she had vaginal births with her daughters that was what she want like obviously it's kind of our choice but I wasn't going to elect to make her have a c-section just for preference like I just don't think that's fair um but yeah so she was going to have a vaginal birth and I he was <laughs> if he would would have went full term the poor girl I'm sure would have been like I'm never being a surrogate ever again <laughs> yeah I think she would have chosen an elective c-section if that were I'm sure I'm sure of it Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I feel like we already just like dove in. So I, know. I feel like we should just keep it going from here. I mean, thank you for coming on. I feel like we 
this recording has been a long time coming between kids schedules and being on the opposite sides of the world but I'm glad we're finally making it work yes me too I know I've I feel like we've been postponing this for so long and I've told a bunch of people that I was coming on to kind of talk about our journey and everything. And they keep asking me, have you recorded it yet? And I'm like, no, no, but it's almost been like a year now. So I, <laughs> I know I was like, I, I know we're going to do it at some point, so it's okay. And then of course, the, then we finally get around to doing it. And then we had like a disconnect with our audio, but that's okay. We wound up just like talking for a while and now we're just catching up. <laughs> yes. Now, now we're here finally. We'll start off because I mean, there's a lot to unpack within your story and, but will you just kind of start off telling everyone a little bit about yourself? I used to be a figure skater. I skated professionally and people always ask me if that's how I met my husband, but it's not really. We, my best friend uh, is his cousin. And so she introduced us and uh, we kind of had a little bit of like a whirlwind relationship. We were engaged pretty quickly and um, got married about a year and a half after that. Um, And I always knew that I wanted kids for sure, but even a a big family. So um, not long after we got married, um, I ended up having a miscarriage and the miscarriages are so common. They happen in one in four pregnancies. And even though I didn't really know much about them, um, I was assured by my doctor that it's, it's pretty common that that would happen and just keep trying and it'll all work out. Um, I did know that I had endometriosis, so I knew that that would kind of be an issue. It did, was something that I dealt with uh, most of my life. So I ended up seeing a specialist to kind of look into if I would need surgery for that. Um, and they ended up diag- diagnosing me with stage four endometriosis, which is pretty much the worst that it can get. It was like all over my ovaries. And basically I was told like, there would be no way you'd be able to carry a pregnancy with this much like Mm. abnormal growth within your uterus. Um, so I ended up getting surgery for that. I had, uh, what's called like a laparoscopy and a hysteroscopy. And the surgery was almost five hours long, which is extremely long, especially when they told my husband, when I went in, it would be about three hours. Um, And while they were in there, they discovered like I had had like a decent amount of like kind of fetal tissue left over. And like, they could tell that I had probably had more miscarriages than what I knew about. Um, So most likely chemical pregnancies, things that like your period just might be a couple of days later, a week late. And then, um, but there was actually something growing. So uh, yeah, it was kind of a lot of information to take in right away. Cause I don't think any of us kind of like divulge or research any of that. I mean, maybe some people do before they start trying to get pregnant, but I kind of just was like, oh yeah, you have sex and you have a baby. (laughs) Like it Mm -hmm. is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, clearly it wasn't that easy for us. So, uh, after my surgery, um, you know, they said, okay, once you've healed, uh, your chances of getting pregnant are pretty, pretty high. Um, so not long after that, I got pregnant again and, um, most of my miscarriages happened between like eight and 12 weeks. So far enough along that, like, you know, you would see a heartbeat or uh, you should see like normal growth in the baby and a sack and fetal pole and all that. Um, And I mean, obviously when you're first trying and you're not seeing specialists, you're not getting that much attention. So a lot of times I might've miscarried at like nine or 10 weeks, but I wouldn't find out until my 12 week appointment when I was going in for an ultrasound. 
like you said, you, you might've miscarried early, like at eight weeks, but then you don't find out till 12 weeks, but then that whole time you're thinking that you're pregnant, exactly, um, which is so hard because then you go in for that 12 week appointment. And that's kind of like when you're, you know, quote in the clear, like people feel more comfortable, like sharing that with other people. And so I, I can only imagine like how hard that would be to go in and, and get that news. Yeah. It's, it's kind of just like you said, like you, when you go in for your 12 week appointment, it's almost like you're so excited because you're finally at the stage where you can start telling people and you know, you're, if you want, you can do a blood elect to have blood work done and maybe find out what the sex is. And, um, and you don't know, like a lot of women will start to bleed and then pass before then. And that had happened to me with some of the miscarriages. Um, one in particular was like, right, literally the day before my, um, 12 week appointment. Um, and I, we had done IVF. So I had transferred two embryos and knew that I was pregnant with twins and, uh, I was having some cramping and then started to bleed a lot and ended up going to emerge and kind of just passed everything before I even was able to get to the 12 week appointment to find out, you know, how far along the babies were when I lost them or when they stopped growing or anything like that. So yeah, it's, it's, there's a big window, like three months where you really don't know what's going on with your body. And when you do start seeing fertility specialists, you're monitored so much more closely that you're getting kind of ultrasounds. Like my first one, they would do blood work to make sure your HCG levels are rising appropriately up until, um, you know, five weeks. And then six weeks, you'd have your first ultrasound to see if you had a heartbeat. So you're monitored so much more closely, but before that it's kind of just a waiting game until 12 weeks. And especially in my case and with the diagnosis we came to at the end of it, uh, it was a lot of just waiting and kind of tormenting yourself and being scared and anxiety. And, um, I kept so much of it very private. I didn't tell a lot of people, even my family didn't even know, um, that I had miscarried until after my endometriosis surgery. And that's how private we kept it. So I look back on it all now and I almost wish I would have been more open and told my friends what was going on instead of keeping it to myself, because I feel like I would have had so much more support, but miscarriages and infertility are so they're becoming more talked about, but for the longest time they were so, you know, taboo and thing. It was such a subject that people kept so private that I kind of felt like I, I couldn't open up about it. Yeah. And I feel like it's, it's probably something that would be really hard to process. And, you know, if someone hasn't necessarily gone through that, they might not always know like what to say, which like, I mean, what what can you say when you're like, there's nothing anyone can say that can make you feel better. And I mean, it's just, I'm really glad it's becoming more talked about because I hate that people go through that. But as it's becoming more talked about, there's so many people that I now hear that had a miscarriage that I never would have even known, you know, like even putting stuff up on like the podcast page, people saying that they struggle with fertility or have had miscarriages and stuff. You know, it's, it's a lot of people and it's, it's really common. It's so common. And it's sad that people feel the need or that we all feel the need to keep things so private. 
like I know since I've come forward, so many women have reached out to me and, and asked for like advice or shared their stories. And, you know, I have even friends recently that have gone through miscarriages that have felt comfortable enough to reach out to me because they know what I went through. And I'm so thankful that they have me because I know not that I wouldn't have had that if I would have opened up, but I didn't have that when I was going through everything. And it puts a lot of strain on so many things in your life. But mo- I would say the the biggest strain was my relationship with my husband. Um, everyone deals with like emotions and grief so differently. And he's a talker. He likes to talk about things and kind of speak about your emotions and lay it all out on the table. And I'm the opposite. And so, you know, when you're just married and you're dealing with this, you have no idea how you're supposed to get through it or how the other person's going to react. And so, um, it was definitely a struggle for us trying to navigate our ways through four years of lots of ups and downs. Um, and you know, not a lot of support or I guess avenues to reach out to, or, you know, people to talk to while we were going through it. Yeah. And in what ways did it impact your relationship? You know, I would say now, or probably stronger than ever. I think it, it made us stronger mm-hmm. um, because of everything we went through. But during the time, um, there was moments where I wasn't sure like we would make it out together because personally, my one of the biggest things I struggled with was as a woman, we're kind of all, we're not put on this earth to reproduce, but it's an option that we have if that's something we choose. And it growing up, you don't think that it's not going to be an option for you if that's what you want. So for me, when I couldn't kind of give him the family that we wanted, I felt like I was holding him back from, you know, so much. And so I took so much on myself, like it was my fault. And part of me was like, you know what, maybe we're not meant to be together and he should move on and find someone else. And that person can give him the family that he wants. And, and then I won't have to feel like this sense of, um, failure. And that was the biggest thing I struggled with for, for, for years, maybe a little more for him. It was like the opposite. Like I remember telling him this and he was like, I don't care if we ever have a family. I don't care if we have our own, if we want to adopt, like, I just want to be with you. It doesn't matter. But, um, that for me, I couldn't even think that way. It was just, I felt like I was letting him down. Oh, I'm getting emotional yeah. over here. Um, it's really sad that, you know, like you feel that way and, and other women, I'm sure other women listening that have gone through that feel that way too, because I think people that go through this, like, I feel like you never, like you said, grow up thinking that you're going to struggle with getting pregnant or struggle with carrying a baby till term like that's just not even a thought because no it just breaks my heart that like that you feel that way um and it's really really powerful and and as a statement on your relationship that your husband was able to say like you know it's okay and we can there's other ways to do this and um but thank you for sharing that because I think like a lot of people that do go through these miscarriages I don't know, maybe they open up about the miscarriage, but they might not open up about that aspect of their relationship. Yeah, I think um, I'm getting emotional talking about it too. I feel like it's been a long long time since I've really like dove into all my feelings 
of everything. And um, I'm glad I'm able to talk about it now because I do know that there are other, are other people that have felt similar that, um, you know, you're so many relationships in your life and maybe not even just my husband, but friendships as well, because, you know, you, I changed as a person with everything I went through. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you're so used to being like a lot of our best friends, we tell everything to, and I was hiding this big part of my life from a lot of them. And it, those relationships struggled too. And it's kind of now that I'm, I like to say on the other side of it, and I'm so fortunate and so lucky to be here because I know not every woman, um, has a story like we do. Um, but I am kind of just now trying to like navigate through rebuilding or figuring out, you know, where we go from here, because for so long we were stuck in this place of, you know, struggle and just kind of figuring out how to navigate it. Yeah. I, um, and I, and I know other women go through, maybe, maybe they haven't felt the exact same way as me, but I, I do know I've, I have lots of friends um, unfortunately that have had miscarriages or struggled and their relationships feel it too, because like I said, not everyone deals with grief and struggle the same way. So mm-hmm. you're, and it's not, like you said, no one knows how to really react when you tell them you're struggling with infertility or you're struggling with a miscarriage. Uh, it's not like you lost a grandfather and someone, you know, you kind of just all say the same things. I'm sorry for your loss. And it's, no one knows exactly how how you're feeling and so no one really knows how to react to it what would you say is like the yeah oh yeah for sure and I think like I don't know do you ever feel or did you ever feel like when you were going through this that you didn't want to like burden people with this because I know I've talked to other friends yeah yes and even now um it's sad but I I don't like I don't tell every, I mean, obviously in the hockey world, um, every year you're meeting these friends and you don't have anyone else around. So I definitely have been very vocal, um, about our situation and met a lot of girls that I've been able to confide in and share my story with, but sometimes I will meet people and they'll ask me the age difference between my kids or whatever. And I just feel like I don't want to burden them with getting into my story. So I'm just going to tell them they're twins. Mm-hmm. because it's easier than telling them what I went through and not to mention a lot of people don't agree with surrogacy and have different views on it. And, or I've had some people assume my son Camden is adopted and that hurts me to my core because I know what I went through to have him. And mm-hmm. it was far more severe than what I went through to have my daughter. Um, so yeah, there's just, um, definitely that I feel like even now I'm opening up about it because I want to help people because I want people to feel that they're not alone, that they can reach out if they want to talk, or, um, even if they don't want to talk, it just gives them a sense of comfort knowing that someone else has gone through it and it's worked out for them. Mm-hmm. But the thought of like someone listening to your story being like, oh my gosh, um, you know, I don't know what to say. And now I feel awkward because they just opened up and shared their life story. That like side of burdening people. I, I, I feel all the time. Mm-hmm. I totally can see that. What, what would you say? And I want to get into the whole surrogacy journey and obviously we're going to yeah. have a long combo about that. Um, Absolutely. but what would you say 
would be like the most supportive thing that a friend could do for you if you're going through something like this? Um, I would say the biggest thing is probably, you know, just allowing the lines of communication to be there if they want to talk um, and just being supportive. Like sometimes just asking how someone's doing and it doesn't need to necessarily be fully pregnancy related, but like, how are you doing? You know, how are things going? Um, have you been able to like get out and enjoy yourself or like do something to make you feel better? Just kind of asking how someone is doing makes a world of a difference. Cause I think sometimes people can give some people give support initially when they hear that you've lost mm-hmm. a baby or what you're going through. And then it just kind of trickles off mm-hmm. and the grief takes a while to get over. And so you know, even if it's a month later and someone just reaches out and says, I've been thinking of you, like, how are you doing? That can, can mean so much. Um, I've tried, cause I've had a couple of friends go through some, um, um, miscarriages recently. And since I've been through my, my own journey, um, I sent one of my friends flowers. I, I sent another friend, like a little care package. Uh, I just think sometimes if you can just give them something that'll put a smile on their face and just kind of take their mind off of all the bad that's been going on, that can make a huge, a huge change as well. Mm-hmm. I um, love that. And, and, and I mean, you know, I think the hockey world or yeah, being in this hockey world can make things even harder because you don't have like your initial support system down the street to come over and, you know have a cup of tea with you or just chat it you're, you can feel even more alone because sometimes one, you know, it might happen at the beginning of the season when you don't know anyone on the team and you really feel like you have no one to talk to. So yeah, just depending on wherever you are, you don't even need to be near the person just kind of offering that little, you know, hand holding a helping hand or like sense mm-hmm. of support can make a big difference. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, some people are definitely going to be more private about that and that's totally okay. Um, but I I do think there's a large amount of women that have gone through this that want to talk about this, but it's like, they don't necessarily want to bring it up on their own. So I love that just checking in and continuing to check in because sure a month might've gone on, but like you never really get over that, you know? And it's like, it's, it's, probably there's constant reminders of going through miscarriages and fertility struggles. And so I think just like continuing to check in is super important. And it's a good reminder to me, um, to do that with my friends as well. So for sure. And, and, you know, you mentioned like, you never really get over it. It, um, just recently. So every October is like uh, child and infant loss awareness month. And, um, my surrogate had always, she always reaches out to me on little things like that, but she had reached out to me saying she was thinking of me. And, um, I always find myself, you know, at some points thinking back about our story and, and you don't really ever get over it. Like it definitely, everything I went through changed me as a person. It changed my relationships. It changed so much. Um, and I think that, sometimes people might think, oh, well, now she has two beautiful children and she's expecting again. And, um, you know, she's over it, I guess, in a sense, but no, that you don't get over it. I mean, essentially one day I'm going to have to tell my son he was carried by a surrogate. And that's something I think of daily because, um, like I said, 
people sometimes just don't know what surrogacy is or they're just not informed. Um, sometimes people collect like to make their own assumptions. So they might think he's adopted or think he's not mine. All those things run through my mind constantly. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just something I'll probably deal with for the rest of my life, but I'm learning new ways, um, to kind of navigate through it as time goes on. And I hope that my story and opening up about it and the things that I would like to do to create awareness and to hopefully help others. I hope that that can make a difference one day, because I think that, um, down the road, we should be able to all, if we, if we want, um, open up and feel, um, a huge sense of support versus feel like we can't open up because, um, you know, it's just something we shouldn't talk about. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you did IVF. So at what yes. point, like, and, and you had several miscarriages at what point did you guys decide, okay, we're going to try this. So, um, I had had three, sorry, I had had two miscarriages before we decided to do IVF. Um, the reasoning kind of behind it was a lot to do with my endometriosis. Um, we basically after the two miscarriages and I had, uh, sorry, I also had a chemical pregnancy in there as well, which is basically, um, I was pregnant and then probably before six weeks ended up, um, losing the pregnancy. Um, so it's usually, usually a chemical is there's no heartbeat yet. Um, kind of just, it's the baby's implanted and it's starting to grow and then stops growing. So essentially three losses, um, which is what they usually say, at least in the United States, um, that's when they'll send you to a fertility specialist to help you. Uh, we were really, really fortunate because my husband was um, playing in the NHL at the time. So we had NHL coverage, which their health coverage is night and day compared to AHL. Um, and so we actually, um, it includes five free rounds of IVF. Wow. Um, which is that's amazing, incredible because the amount of money that you spend on IVF and medication and everything mm-hmm. is insane. And oh, I so mean, yeah, I, it's, I've heard it's like, I mean, so even surrogacy too is so expensive. Yeah, well, surrogacy, um, surrogacy is close to six figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was what it cost us, but we didn't even have to pay for IVF and IVF is, can be anywhere from 30 to $50,000. Mm. Um, wow. And I mean, obviously it depends on which state you're in because there's, the, and in Canada, it's a little bit different. You can qualify for one free round, um, because of our healthcare system. So it, it's different everywhere, but it's definitely very, very pricey. Um, so our reasoning to just go straight to IVF was because after the losses, um, and some of the testing I had done, they were kind of suggesting that the issue would probably be the embryos. Um, so that basically my eggs or weren't good enough quality. And so that's why the babies were not surviving. Um, So when we decided to go um, through with it, basically you um, stimulate to do an IVF egg retrieval, uh, which can be different for everyone. And um, it it usually is you're taking estrogen and progesterone and um, lots of different medication to help your eggs grow um, to a mass amount for them to do a surgery and remove them all. And I was fortunate enough to get about 41 eggs 
um, on my first retrieval, which is a lot. Um, but it was because we had kind of waited too long or the doctor waited too long to do it. They were not all, they were kind of, a lot of them were like what they call like overstimulated and not great quality because they had grown for too long. So I ended up only getting about five embryos out of all those. And then we genetically tested them all. Um, and I was fortunate enough that they all come, came back normal. So where they were telling us it was probably the issue was the embryos. When we did IVF, there was not one issue with the embryos. Hmm. So we kind of were so in another position up, of- Did they wind up testing your husband then? So they tested him before we did everything. Basically the only kind of testing they can do for men is just test their sperm. Mm-hmm. And they do say sometimes in athletes, uh, especially during the hockey hockey season, because your testicles can heat up when you're uh, <laughs> constantly sweating. <laughs> yeah, get it. So that can reduce your sperm count. So they do say that. So he was tested like during the season and then in the summer, there is a little bit of a difference, but not much, but there was no issue. Um, so once that happened, we, we just went forward with the transfer of, we transferred two embryos. Um, and they both took, um, and then I lost them and there was kind of just no reason why, because everything looked great on paper and my levels all looked good and the embryos were good quality. Um, and in this time we were moving, we lived in Nashville in the summer, so we were moving back home. Um, so I ended up having to go to a different clinic and that clinic, um, kind of was the same thing they, like the hardest part, I think through my whole journey was I heard a lot of, we have no idea what's wrong. And my husband and I would say sometimes like, it would just be so nice for them to call with a result and be like, so this came back positive or negative or whatever it is. And that's, what's wrong. Like we, we would never get that. It was always like, Oh, so everything came back great. And we're like, okay, but that doesn't help us. Like yeah. It's like, we want to know so that was, unknown is probably like so frustrating. Yeah. And, and I mean, you can only advocate for yourself so much. Like I'm not a doctor. I don't know the ins and outs of fertility or anything, but of course I was on like my best friend, Google, trying to figure everything out. Like, what should they test me for? What could be the problem? Um, and you know, everything that they would do, we, we couldn't get any answers to. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing another egg retrieval, um, in Nashville because they felt like the stimulation process they had me on in Minnesota, um, wasn't what they would use for kind of all the results they were getting on things. They said, I stimulated for too long. I shouldn't have been on such high medication. Um, so I redid it and I ended up getting, um, 28 eggs the second time around, which initially I was kind of disappointed in because I had 41 and then 28, I was assuming I would get more. Um, but I ended up getting 10 embryos out of that, which was really good. And all of them came back, um, normal again, uh, which, uh, according to my doctor is not very common. So that's really good that they were all normal. A lot of times, most women will have like one or two that are abnormal. Um, so all in all with both of our retrievals, we had 15 embryos, all genetically tested and all great quality. Um, so, which is amazing. And I'm so thankful for, but with that being said, um, it still wasn't giving us any answers as to why I was having all these miscarriages. So did you ever 
get those answers? So um, I did um, in total, I ended up, so I did three IVF transfers um, one time with two embryos and two times just with one. So I miscarried four babies via IVF. Um, and then I had three natural miscarriages, one that was twins naturally. Um, and so after it was after my fifth miscarriage that, um, the doctor at this point we were in Des Moines, Iowa, um, and the doctor had called me in. I had, uh, this was definitely probably the lowest point in my whole journey. Um, and I was about 10 and a half weeks along and, found out that I was miscarrying again, um, from an ultrasound and my husband was on the road and I was alone and they called me in to speak with the doctor to kind of go over things. And I was very adamant, like, I need to figure out what's wrong. I want answers. I want every test that we haven't done done. I want to figure out what's going on. Like I'm not getting any answers. And I just kind of felt like I wanted them to throw the book at me. And instead they were just kind of going over regular protocol. And obviously that wasn't working. And I had been speaking with a nurse that I had in Nashville at the time that in the summer um, before she really, really advocated for me and, and was asking kind of other professionals she had worked with in Colorado for information and, and tests that they could test me on and all this. So I, I had been in contact with her. But this doctor told me in the meeting that he felt like I would never be able to carry a pregnancy um, and that I should probably look into surrogacy. And when I look back on it now, I thought it was such a negative conversation. And I remember being so upset and so distraught and feeling so alone because my husband was gone and I had no family around. And, and not to mention, I knew I was miscarrying, but I hadn't started passing anything yet. So or I didn't know if I was going to need a DNC or what the process was going to be. I just remember feeling the worst I'd felt in a long, long time. And surrogacy sounded so taboo to me. And just, it felt like he was telling me you're a failure. Um, you can't carry a child. Most women should be able to do it. Not, he didn't say any of these things, but that's what I was hearing. Mm -hmm. And um, I, remember being like, no, I'm not, we're not doing surrogacy. I'm, I'm going to carry a child. I'm going to, if he won't help me, I will go see another doctor. They will run more tests. And I remember calling the nurse that, or emailing her. And then she called me to kind of tell her what we went over and how I felt. And I didn't know any of her situation at the time that she had also had a surrogate carry children for her and her husband. Um, but she very much was like, you know, we have, we can do more. We can test you more. Um, surrogacy is completely your decision. Um, but in the mean, so she said, I would think about it. I would really talk to your husband about that. Um, there's great organizations and um, agencies that can help you. But if that's not something you're interested in, then that's okay. Like we, I will find other things we can do to help you. But it wasn't until after we had moved down the path of surrogacy and I had another miscarriage that they ended up kind of figuring out what was wrong. Um, and it was all because of my nurse Candace in Nashville that advocated for me and had my back and researched and basically made me a case study um, to find out what was wrong. And I literally owe my family and everything to her because 
if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I feel like um, there are so many good people in this world that can um, can have your back and can want what's best for you without needing anything in return. And she's one person that I feel like uh, came into my life when I really needed her. And um, I'm so thankful for her for finding out, you know, what was going on. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. That was not, no, I'm getting emotional too. Um, I know that was not easy um, for you to share that. And I'm so sorry that you went through this. It, like I can just, I can hear the pain in your voice. And even though time has passed, it's just like going, going back over this. I know it's not easy to talk about. So thank you. And I think a lot of the feelings that you're speaking of and, and saying that you felt at the time. And when you heard that from your doctor, other people are going to connect with that. And they're going to be so happy that you shared that. Thank you. You know, it's, um, when I think back, I remember like saying to my husband, like I, this doctor, I can see, I literally can remember like where I was the time of day. I can picture his face. There's so much about it that like that conversation just upsets me in so many ways. And I know it wasn't meant to be that way. And he didn't mean it in an, in any malicious form. It, he was doing his job and telling me what he thought was best. And, you know, at the end of the day, I have my son because of that conversation. And so I'm, you know, I have mm-hmm. to thank him for navigating me down that path and, and kind of, mentioning an option that I never thought was possible. Um, but at the time it's, it's really hard to look at it that way. Um, I think I was just in a place where, uh, anything upset me and, um, you know, it was, it was hard to get out of there. It took, it took a long, it took a long time. That was definitely the lowest of our journey for sure. And, um, there was a lot of people that stood up and helped us during that time. Um, the organization where my husband was playing, the Iowa Wild, they helped us through so many things. Um, for on like a like from an emotional side of things and the support that we needed that way, um, and and then friends too. Uh, I had so many friends step up. Uh, one in particular in Nashville, my friend Kirsten, she. Um, knew a lot about surrogacy. And when I, she actually brought it up to me before I had even told her the doctor had mentioned it. So it was kind of interesting. Um, but her kind of positive spin on it and how supportive she was of surrogacy really helped me kind of like get a better grasp on it and, and start to explore that option. Because I don't think if it would have been for other people in my life, you know, explaining it more to me, I don't know if I would have went down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just because, it's not, I mean, it's becoming so much more and more common and you're hearing about like celebrities and um, lots of people having to go down the path of surrogacy to have a biological child. But I think back then, not that it was that long ago, um, I just, I didn't have enough knowledge or information on it to really know much about it. And uh, in my mind, the connotate, like the, in my mind, the idea of surrogacy just, to me was because I was a failure and couldn't do it myself. Yeah, definitely. you definitely need a support system regardless, yes. but especially going through really hard times. And actually when 
our audio wasn't working. I threw up that little question box. Um, someone who is also, or like kind of going through having a couple miscarriages right now, she asked what got you through, like having one is hard enough. She said, like Mm -hmm. going through multiple, just how, like, what are some things that really just got you through day to day? Honestly, it my first response to that is, I don't know. When I look back, um, I think I was really lucky enough in the beginning. I had a good job uh, in figure skating and I was traveling a lot. So that was something that could really take my mind off of things. Um, But I think that also worked in the opposite way too, because it was an escape. But then when I would be back wherever we were living at the time and, you know, working from home or whatever it was I was doing, I was right back in it and feeling all those emotions. I kind of shoved away for so long. Um, I think at the end of the day, what really got me through was that I knew no matter what I would have the family I wanted one day, regardless of how I got there. I was never, and I've always been very open. I would love to adopt And that was something that was always on my mind. Um, But I think I was lucky enough to having done IVF and knowing I had these embryos that like, I would get my own, my own child, even if I couldn't carry them. Um, And so that is what kind of kept me going or like, you know, helped me get through it all was that I knew I I would get there one day. The journey was long and it was taking a lot longer than I would have liked but I knew one day we would have what we wanted. And, um, I kind of always just kept that in my mind. And I also think too, when I look back, my husband was really great at helping me, you know, kind of live in, he, he always wanted me to really speak my feelings when I was going through things, but he also wanted me to live in the moment. So if things weren't going right and we had a, we were going through a miscarriage or we had gotten bad news at the clinic or whatever it was, you know, he was like, okay, you know, we can't change what's going on. We can't change the situation, but we can go for a nice dinner tonight, or we can go on a trip to Chicago, or we can do something that can, you know, that we might not be able to do one day when we have kids. And I, so I think when I look back over the four years, we really tried to kind of embrace what we could control and try not to dwell on what we couldn't. And that that I think is probably what got us through it. And no, don't get me wrong. Of course, when you're like embracing what you can control and you're trying to go out and have fun, I wasn't always having fun. Mm -hmm. I wasn't always happy trying to do things to make myself happy. But, um, sometimes when you like force yourself to put a smile on your face and just do something that you know is going to make you feel good. It, it does make you feel good in a way. It doesn't take away all the hurt, but it does help. It's so hard to get out of the house when you're in a bad headspace. Totally. Like you, you really like, I mean, and when people are trying to let's go do something like the last thing you want to do is like get dressed and go somewhere, but exactly, you're so right. Like it does elevate your mood just to like get out and get a change of scenery instead of just like laying in bed. And some days that's okay. I mean, every day it's okay, but just to like get out for a walk or something like. I was lucky enough to the year that we had gone through, um, kind of our fifth miscarriage and we're told about surrogacy. 
Um, I met probably a girl that will be one of my best friends for forever on the team that we were playing on in Iowa. And she was kind of going through, um, not, a, I would say in a way similar, they were trying for another and it, it was taking a lot longer and it was getting difficult. They were doing some stuff to help. And, um, she having her too, uh, kind of just like, I would not drag me out of the house, but help me like get, like you said, just get out and like get some fresh air or go for lunch or just something that helped me through a lot of it as well. And we're not, you're not always fortunate enough to have someone like that, but I was really lucky to have like a girl there to support me and kind of help me through things. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it gets hard when you're traveling and moving around from team to team. Like you, you can't really put down roots anywhere. And some of the best friends, like I've never, we've never been with them, the, that couple again, since we played with them that year. And, and it's hard to even like maintain friendships when you're never in the same place. Um, but I think what we all have kind of gathered is like, even though you might not talk to that person every day, you all are in the same boat. So when you do reach out and like, or see each other again, you kind of pick up where you left off. And, and those relationships can, can really mean a lot, especially when you're going through tough times. Well, I want to dive into surrogacy. Um, yes, obviously it's going to, it's funny because literally no one that's listening is going to have any idea that I am connected to the surrogacy world as well in a way. Um, so I'm excited to talk about this because yes, you can kind too. of hear my perspective and, um, coming from someone who was born from a surrogate and I want to hear your perspective, obviously decided to go with a surrogate and I want to hear about like what that process was like for you. So you go through an agency, right. And then they kind of match you or give you a couple different options. I don't know if that's how it was. Yeah. That's like exactly how it was. So Um, what made you choose your surrogate? The, the night I actually, I guess, decided to kind of, um, sign up for, we, we were in Iowa and I was trying to find an agency. So I'd found a couple. So you have to kind of like fill out a submission form. Um, so I wanted to kind of reach out to a couple different ones. Cause I wasn't sure where I wanted to start. Uh, so I was, my husband was away and I was having a couple glasses of wine and researching, um, surrogacy agencies. And I kind of filled out forms for a couple, but if I'm being very honest, I think I was going to, I was doing it, but I wasn't still on board yet that that was the route I wanted to go. Um, and I heard back from them and I never answered them. And so I think it was about four or five agencies I'd reached out to. Um, and then one night my husband and I were going out for dinner and I had a missed call on my phone and they left a message. And it was one of the companies that I had reached out to saying that they Uh, received my kind of submission form. And if I was really interested, they had a couple options, but one in particular that they thought would be a good match. And so I remember, obviously, obviously surrogacy is not cheap. And so that was kind of something that was rolling in my mind was like, if we're going to do this, we're jumping in with both feet and we're not turning back. So that was a discussion we really needed to talk about. So we were at dinner and I was kind of telling my husband, Oh, I just got this call. And, uh, they left a message and, you know, what do you think? And he was just like, well, what do you think? Like I'm on board for whatever you're on board for. So 
what do you think? I'm like, well, I know that some women or couples wait years to be matched with surrogates, depending on their preferences and what they're looking for. And, um, you know, if they think they might have an option for us already, like I, you know, I want to have a family and we have all these embryos. Like I just, maybe we should just do it. Like, just let, let's not think about it. Let's just do it. And so he was like, all right. And so, um, it kind of happened pretty quick from there. I'd responded to the agency and, um, Heartland surrogacy who, uh, they were incredible and I'll get into it, but our experience with them was amazing. And so obviously there's like an initial fee you pay in order for them to match you, um, or send you potential matches. And so we did all that and really quickly, uh, they sent us, um, an option and, um, the agency had said, okay, so this is, uh, Heather Selby and her family and, um, sent us their portfolio and kind of all about her and, uh, said, we think you'd be a match kind of review it and let us know if you'd like to proceed. And I have to be really honest. I'm kind of, um, a person that I really trust my initial instincts on things. And, I was at a bar class working out and I opened up the portfolio and I was like, this is, this is it. This is her. This is our surrogate. I had just, there's something about the fan, their family and her that really made me feel comfortable. I kind of felt like I knew them, which is so odd. Um, but then I immediately like text my husband before the class was starting. I said, check your email right now. The company said, uh, sent us a surrogate. I think she's perfect. And so, uh, he was, I think he was at the ring. He didn't get back right away, but, um, I remember after the class, I wrote them back right away. My, we kind of talked and I wrote the company back right away. And I said, absolutely. We'd love to proceed, you know, tell us what the next steps are. And from there, um, I think it was maybe like a day or two, maybe not even, um, I feel like I'm like there with you right now. I can like, I can just, as you're retelling this story, I can just like hear the hope in your voice. Like as you open that email, I'm getting like excited talking about it. I think I like, haven't really ever divulged into like the process of everything. I've kind of just done like a short snippet of how we met our surrogate, but like really getting into it is like making me smile because I can like feel all the mo- emotions again. Um, but yeah, so the company obviously reached out to Heather um, and said that we were interested and sent our profile to them as well. And like, I'm not sure what uh, everyone's experience is, but the experience kind of I gathered from it was that it's there's a lot more like intended parents who we are um, in the surrogacy process. My husband and I were considered like the intended parents. Um, than surrogates. So it's kind of like the surrogate's choice um, because, you know, they're risking their body to help carry another human for a family. So they kind of can sometimes be given multiple options for families and they get to choose. Um, So I, I was trying not to get my hopes up, but we were really lucky within like a day or two, like I said, uh, the company got back to us and said that Heather and her husband, Chad, were interested and that we would like to, um, schedule a zoom call to all meet and kind of go over things and then decide if we really wanted to move forward past there. Um, so we, 
it was so quick from there. Like I, it was literally right before Christmas or right after, I can't believe I remember, I don't remember the exact day, but um, that we did a Zoom call with them. And my husband even, I didn't say much on the call and I don't really know why, cause I, I always talk, I'm pretty outgoing. Um, and my husband's more the shy one, but he was kind of the talker. And I, I remember the call being very emotional. He was, he was the one that explained our story to them and why we were um, going down the road of surrogacy and, you know, what we were looking for out of it. And they ask you so many questions that I feel like I didn't, um, because it was so quick, quick, I didn't think much about what I wanted out of a surrogate or what kind of situation, the what kind of situation or experience I was looking for. And I, I think that was a really good thing because I went in so Mm open-minded and I was in my mind, I was just like, this woman is offering to carry a child for my family. I trust that she is going to do anything in her power to carry the baby and be health, like in the most healthiest way. And, um, I just trusted her from the get-go and, um, I didn't want to give too many guidelines on what I was looking for because this woman had already had children of her own that were healthy and she was a mom and she was raising a family. Like, I'm going to trust that what she's doing is right. I'm not going to tell her what I think's right. Like, what do I know? I know nothing. Um, so I remember my husband kind of explaining our story and she started to cry and I was crying and it, her husband was like looking at Cal And I remember him saying like, wow, you know, you guys have been through a lot. And then Heather started to speak and um, she started to talk about why she got into surrogacy and how she had thought about it for a long time and, you know, had um, knew someone that was struggling and had offered to help. And um, that person kind of felt like it, they, they didn't, they weren't at that point in their uh, process yet for surrogacy, but she, I think in her mind had thought about it for so long that she still wanted to do it. It was still something that she wanted to do was to help another couple. And she just said, she, she looked, she has two young girls of her own. And every time she'd look at her kids, she couldn't picture her life without them. And so she couldn't, she just really had like an emotional tie to anyone struggling to have a family she, without saying, without any of us saying like, okay, let's go for it. Um, I think we both, we all left that call just feeling really positive and really good about the initial meeting with Heather and her husband and uh, the agency that we were dealing with wrote an email and said, Heather and her husband, uh, they would love to move forward if you were interested. And we were like, yeah, let's do it. So it was, it was a fairly quick process um, initially from, um, meeting the agency, getting connected with Heather and her husband, and then moving forward from there. I feel like that process happened really fast. It was kind of after that, where it took a lot longer than I expected, um, to get to the point of like embryo transfer. But, um, I think those moments of, and it was right around Christmas time. And I remember I was actually going overseas to go visit my brother with my family. And, Um, I just remember feeling so hopeful, like in my Mm -hmm. mind, it was like, I knew in a year or, or or two, I was going to have a 
a baby, like my baby that I'd been working so hard for and, and gone through so much for. And I, I think that that just definitely put me in a different light and gave me so much hope moving forward. Um, and of course it's always nice to feel that when it's around the holidays and it's a happy time. So yeah, it was, it was, um, definitely a, I would say, I guess our low and our high were very close together in our journey. Um, and that was certainly a high of everything that we'd gone through for sure. Okay. This is for sure going to be like a two hour interview. I'm just saying, cause I feel like we could literally talk about this like all day long. Cause I just, I like, I know we haven't even gotten into yours yet. I feel like I'm the only one talking. No. Oh my gosh. Well, that's hello. You're the guest. You got to be talking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. I mean, I, okay. This is like a pure example of everything happens for a reason. I always have said this about surrogacy and like, obviously what you, it doesn't like take away from everything you've gone through, but there had to have been a reason that you got connected to this person to have this specific child. Like, it's just, it's so interesting. If you think about it like that, like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, if you never met this person, then maybe like your son wouldn't be the same bait. Like, it's just, I think about that all the time. I really do. Just like you said, I think everything happens for a reason. And if I wouldn't have, first of all, I I couldn't imagine having not met Heather and her family. Right. My husband and I say this all the time. It's like, we knew them forever. I, I believe in everything happening for a reason. I believe in like sometimes people are put into your life to help transform it or like at the right time, at the right uh-huh. moment when you need them. Like, I believe in all of that. I don't know if you've ever heard of soul contracts, but it's like, it's people say that like you're every person that you meet, you have like a soul contract with. So like, you're supposed to meet them for a reason. Like, it's just like part of like the design of oh. your life. And it's kind of cool to think about because That's I always, interesting. yeah, I always think about it like with my situation, which obviously I will get into in a little bit, but like just my dad or my parents never would have met my surrogate if this didn't happen to my mom. Like, so it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy. So I, I mean, I believe it. I think it's really interesting, but, um, yeah, everything happens for a reason. And I think that's so cool. And obviously she's still a part of your life and you, you know, their family and stuff. So, and that's like such a beautiful part. And there are people that decide to go through surrogacy and like, I totally respect and understand that part of not wanting to have communication with their surrogate or vice versa. Um, which I think is a personal decision. I I think every, like I said, when I went into it, I was super open-minded. I didn't really know what I wanted or what to expect. And I kind of just wanted like it to be natural and the relationship to just like grow into what it is, you know? And so it was like, if we're not meant to be good friends, or if we're not meant to have a relationship after, then like, it is what it is. Like, that's how it's going to be. Um, it's close. We are, I, I wish that we talked more. I mean, like life gets in the way, you know, it's chaotic and, (laughs) um, but we still keep in, keep in contact when, especially milestones for my son, like we, he had his first birthday, of course we were all in quarantine and it was over zoom. Um, but we zoomed them in, um, so they could see and like sing happy birthday to him. And we try to kind of connect when we all have a chance, like they have two children of their own and they're busy. And so do we. So, um, we, and especially with COVID it's made it so much harder because 
we, before my son was born, they flew into um, Lehigh Valley, which is where we're, my husband plays right now and came for the weekend and watched his game. And like, it was felt, felt like we had friends flying in to see us. It was very natural and it was a super fun weekend. Um, and then obviously when we had our son, um, we were all together then, but we haven't seen, been able to see them in person since our son was born. So almost two years now. Wow. And, uh, we've had plans of them visiting us in Nashville or them coming into games, but it's just been so difficult with COVID to make anything work. Um, but I definitely feel like she will be in our lives for forever. And it's kind of one of those friendships, like you don't need to talk every day. Uh, but we're all, we'll always be there for each other. And I mean, we share such a huge bond. Um, Mm -hmm. she calls my son, her little belly buddy. So I think for her, especially she has that connection. Even she says like, she has no genetic connection to Camden at all, but she has a connection to him. She carried him for nine months. It's like, if, you know, every time I send her a little video, like it, she feels just so special to be getting little snippets of his life and hearing how everything's going because she feels like he's her little buddy. And I think that's really special. And I hope that, you know, one day down the road, when we tell him, uh, I hope that he can see it that way too. You know, that it's, he's, he's really lucky and he's, he's special because he has another little friend that shared in on, on his story to being born. And like you said, like, I don't know, I just couldn't picture it having gone any other way because if we wouldn't have had Heather and we wouldn't have done surrogacy and all that, I wouldn't have Camden. So Mm -hmm. to me, it was like, it was all meant to be that way. Well, I think one of the benefits of just the year that we're living right now, it's like 2021 and surrogacy is more common. And like you said, there's celebrities, you know, big time, like Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, like it's more talked about, you hear it more. And I think that's going to be a benefit to your son for other people understanding. Um, like I 100% agree with you. And this is something I think about all the time that I think when the time comes for us to tell him, because I want him to be an age where he's going to understand it's going to, he might have kids in his class that were carried by a surrogate as well. It's going to be so much more common. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause it's already going down that route. Um, there's a lot of people I've heard of recently. Um, I think you hear about it more in like the celebrity world because that's, you know, what you see on TV or what you see on social media, but you know, um, so many couples that are going the surrogacy route for their own reasons. Like everyone, you know, has different backgrounds, whether, you know, it be uh, gay couples, lesbian couples, things like that. They all have a different reason for why they would have a surrogate. But I think that it's definitely going to be a benefit for him that when we do tell him it'll, it'll be much, uh, much more common. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I feel like I should tell you my story a little bit just so that, yes. you, cause I feel like I have so much to say, but it, I like, have questions <laughs> for you because I, I will, I just want to know so much about, um, you know, how it was for you, because I, I feel like you're telling me from potentially Camden's perspective of what it was like. Yeah. Well, for me, it was a bit different because back when I was born, like it was not common at all. Um, Absolutely. so my parents married when they were older, (laughs) 
I like my dad jokes and my wedding speech. He's like, because of his commitment issues. Um, but my parents met when they were like 35, I think. Um, and so my mom was married before and she had two children of her own. And then, um, she met my dad and he had no, or he had, he just had no children at all. Um, my dad's a child psychologist. He loves kids. He's always wanted kids, but again, goes back to (laughs) the commitment issues. Um, (laughs) So when he met my mom, like he fell in love with her kids and raised them pretty much as his own. Like they were a little older. I think my sister was like, gosh, I want to say like, I don't know if 13 sounds too old, but I'm not, they were older. Yeah. So anyway, so my dad had always wanted a biological child. I think that's just like a normal thing to feel. Um, yeah. And my mom, so they started like trying for a baby and my mom kept getting pregnant, but she couldn't stay pregnant. So she kept having miscarriages. I want to say she had like five or something like that. Okay. Um, and a little bit of backstory on my mom is she was actually adopted. Um, so she had a closed adoption and she was adopted in Maryland and she is there. My parents are now 75. So they're older. Okay. Um, and I think that being adopted and having a closed adoption was always something that was really hard for her. Like growing up, she always wondered about her parents and she had amazing adoptive parents. Like she loved her parents. She was very fortunate growing up. Um, but mm-hmm. she, part of her felt like lost a little bit just because it was completely closed. And I think it's natural for every child to wonder like is my family out there and like what are my parents like so she spent so much time of her life as she got older like on these um like ancestry and like piecing the puzzles together and trying to figure out who her family is and who her parents are craziest story is that she found out um she found her parents and oh my gosh it's, it's pretty insane so um kind of the long story short version is, um, now my parents, like I grew up in Encinitas, California and she found five brothers and sisters, two cities over from us in California. Oh my gosh. And she was adopted in Maryland. That is so crazy. And they look like her. It's so crazy. And so she grew up with an adoptive sister. Um, so they weren't blood related. So the family adopted two children, my mom and her other adopted sister. Um, and her adoptive sister died maybe like seven years ago. So my mom just like, she's always just like craved that connection. And so when she found this family, like a piece of her was so full, um, and her parents, they're not living anymore, but the fact that she like found these siblings and she's super close with one of them in particular. And I know it just like makes her so happy to get together with her. And she loves learning about like what her mom was like, but it's kind of crazy because her mom, like, I think the reason that she gave my mom up is because back then it was so taboo to have a child out of wedlock and her mom got pregnant before she was married with a different man. So, and she never told anyone. Wow. She never told her kids. She never told her husband. So none of them knew. Oh my goodness. That's so crazy. It's giving me chills. So they were, she was able to piece this. She's like really smart with this kind of thing. And like, she was literally able to piece this entire thing together through like ancestry and like studying, like all this stuff and with DNA and everything. And like, she found her sister on there. 
um, because our sisters just like opened that kind of thing. And there was one sibling that was not open to my mom and not open to receiving her. And, you know, my mom was kind of just like, look, like I have my own family. Like I'm not trying to jump into yours. I just, I've always wondered who my parents were and who my, who my blood siblings were, if I had any. So anyways, that's kind of like a side story as to like, my parents were not against adopting, but I think that if they were to do adoption, that they would want it to be open just because of my mom's experience with that, which there's nothing wrong with closed adoptions. But I think like, I mean, if anyone is listening, that's been adoptive and it's been closed, I like think it's safe to say that they would probably always wonder who their parents were. Absolutely. Um, And I think also too, like you said, everyone's experience is so different. And, um, even when you think of surrogacy, I know some people that haven't had great experiences. So it, it's only natural that everyone's different experience will give them a different feeling and, and a different result of what they want from it. And I, I would feel very similar to your mom. I would be so interested to know, you know, a little bit about where I come from. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It doesn't mean you're ungrateful for what you have, of course. And, but it, it doesn't, it's not terrible to want to know where you came from either. Yeah, exactly. It was just so insane that they were like two cities over. Um, yeah, that's crazy. In California. It's just like, what, what are the odds? My mom was feeling very defeated um, after like the miscarriages. Obviously that was just like so disheartening because they would get so excited and like mm-hmm. tell their, like there, I think there was one time in particular, I remember them saying that they told like my dad's parents that they were pregnant and like everyone was so excited. And then she like miscarried and it was just so hard on her emotionally. And I think like what you were saying, um, about how you were feeling that you felt like a failure. I think that my mom felt that towards my dad because my dad had never had kids and he was so wanting, you know, a child. And I think like, she felt like I can't give this to you. Um, That's literally, I I think you're hitting the nail on the head because it's exactly how my, how I felt about it. And I think to my husband, uh, he comes from a large family. His sister had four children. Um, his brother at the time um, had a child as well. I think like he was around all that. And so he saw all these young kids, his nieces and nephews, and he wanted it himself. And that made me feel even more guilt mm-hmm. because I couldn't give him what, you know, his, his sister was able to give her husband or his sister-in-law was able to give his brother. It was, it's just sometimes that constant reminder being around it almost, it, it puts more of a hurt on you because you, you just, you know, you're harder on yourself because you can't do what you really want to do for someone else. So I, I, I feel, I feel like I have that connection with your mom. I feel her pain in all of that. Yeah, exactly. And I think it for like my mom too, just having two kids already and like, you know, she was divorced and I think she was, she was okay. Not having more kids. Right. Um, and she so wanted to do it for your dad. She was doing it for my dad. And yeah. so the fact that like that kept happening, like she was just like, Oh, you know, it was just emotionally draining and, you know, oh, physically yeah. and everything. So, um, they started looking into their options And I don't remember exactly like what, how they really like learned about surrogacy because it really wasn't that common back then. So I was born in 92, but so they got, they went through an agency and they actually met with another couple first. And the woman 
she obviously, like we've talked about, we know that surrogacy is expensive. And I think that she was kind of just in it for the money. Like that was like the vibe that 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 was one of our biggest questions. Actually, I think my husband asked that to the agency, like how many, you know, what is, what's usually in it for surrogates? Like are a lot of them in it for the money because it's extremely expensive and they're getting a big lump sum of money or like, why, why do a lot of surrogates do it? And the agency was very honest. They said about like, you know, a percentage of them absolutely are doing it because they need the money. Um, but the majority of them are all doing it for a bigger reason. And it, a lot of it has, a lot of them do it from their own, like personal experience, you know, having someone in their family or friend group that has struggled and they, they just feel this urge to help. Um, but Mm -hmm. you know, money can be such a a big factor in it as well because they they do get compensated obviously. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're carrying someone else's child for 10 months. There's like, right. And like, and right. We show they should be like compensated. I don't think I'd ever be able to do it and not pay someone for doing something like that for me. Unless it was maybe like your sister or something that was like, I'm doing this, you know, whatever. But yeah. Yeah. So they met with a woman and she was like, I think they met her person. And, um, she was basically like, I don't want any relationship with you guys. Like, I don't want a relationship with the baby. Like I never want the baby to find me. Like I want it to be completely closed and like instant red flags for my mom. She was like, absolutely not. Like that's not, we're not doing that. I don't want her to feel like this sense of like what I felt, you know? And so they were like, well, you don't know where 10 months is going to take you in a relationship either. Exactly. You know, and like right away to be given all those red flags, like this is how it's going to be. It, it can feel so unnatural right. because, you know, what happened, like you're just being told it will never be anything more than this. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes like going in with such an open mind, it's totally. like, you're just going to see where this goes naturally mm-hmm. because exactly. 10 months is a long time. And you also don't even know what type of experience you're going to have when the baby's born. Like, I can get into this a little later, but the way Camden was born was, it was a, like a big shock and it was a crazy experience. Um, and I think that even brought us closer together too. So like, you just, you don't, don't know. It's great. And I mean, like, again, everything happens for a reason. My parents were like, no, that's not, that doesn't align with us or whatever. My parents are so open and so generous and like, they were, they were just like, oh, like that just doesn't feel right. So, um, then they got matched with Jody's profile and Jody's my surrogate mom. So, um, yeah. So they got matched with her and like instantly just loved her. She was just very open. And, um, at the end of the day, like my parents, they always went in with the mindset of we're always going to tell Devin about this, but like, Mm -hmm. it's her decision, whether she wants to pursue a relationship with her, like, that's not something that we're ever going to force on her. But if she wants a relationship with her, then like, we always want that to be an option. Um, and so, and Jody was the same. She was like, I'm open to whatever you want. Yeah. She was like, if you guys want, um, you know, her to know, or the baby to know me and I would love to have a relationship with them, but if not, I totally respect that and respect your privacy. So instantly they were, they felt like good about that. And like, they just loved her off the bat. So yeah, they, when she, so, okay. So my mom, like she didn't have any I think is it, I don't know if they actually got to the point of like embryos or eggs, like her eggs just like, weren't like, she just couldn't have Yeah. like her eggs weren't able to produce a child anymore. 
Um, and so I'm actually blood related to my dad and to the circuit, which I'm actually curious if they still do that because Um, I feel like that could cause a lot of problems. I don't think they do. Um, I was just talking about this actually on the weekend with my mom and I can't say for certain, but I'm, I'm fairly sure they, I don't think they do because there's so many legal documents and so much like legality that has to go into having a surrogate, um, that like, I can't even remember everything we had to do, but we had to get a lawyer and, Mm -hmm. um, you dive into everything essentially, like, um, if the paperwork isn't filed at birth, um, because obviously like it was my, my egg and my husband's sperm. So genetically there's no connection to our surrogate Heather. Mm -hmm. Um, it needs to be filed. Obviously Heather birthed a baby, but I am the birth mom because I have the genetic connection. Right. So it has to be filed a certain way in the court. So that like on Camden's birth certificate, if we decided we never wanted to tell him, he would never know because I'm the birth mom and Cal is the birth father. Um, but if it's done the other way around, the birth mother has to adopt the baby. So like, for example, if, if Heather, if in today's world, if Heather was to have used her egg and it was Cal's sperm, um, I would have had to adopt the baby from Heather and essentially that's up to the mother's discretion. So even if you have it in legal documents that it's going to go a certain way, she could take, she could change her mind. Yeah. Yeah. And so So that, I I, that would freak me out. I'm going to say like, if I was my parents in this position, I would be scared the entire time that she would like at the end be like, I'm on her. You know what I mean? Cause they technically can. Exactly. And that, that is like, I've had people ask me this before. And I think it's just someone that doesn't quite understand that no, no, like it's my egg. They went, I had surgery. Um, and I think the way Heather explains it to her kids is probably the easiest way to explain it to people that Camden was in my belly and he had trouble growing and couldn't grow. So they had to take him out and put him in hers and she carried him. And then I'm his real mom. And she gave him back to me. Um, that's cute, but that's kind of how she explained it to her kids. It was really cute. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely like the legal part scares you a little bit when you're going through it because there's so many documents you have to fill out and you have to get a will in case anything was to happen. And it, it definitely, there's so much more that goes into it than just meeting a surrogate and moving forward. I mean, at least in today's day, I'm not sure how it was in like when you were born, but yeah, no, I'm sure it wasn't that. as, yeah, I'm sure it wasn't as in depth. Like we had to even see a psychologist to get like an okay that we weren't crazy. <laughs> yeah no they had to um like I'm pretty sure they went to court and my mom had to sign as like my adoptive mom for that same reason that you were saying um but yeah I mean they like fully trusted Jody and everything but I do think there's such an emotional side of carrying a baby that like going through the birth process and like carrying a child like you have such a connection to that and I think it's you know talking to Jody now she says like the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life is like, like say goodbye at the hospital, which is like, you know, it's like sad to hear, but also like, she is such a blessing to our family. And Mm. it's, it's totally crazy to, to like, think about what she did for my parents. I mean, it's like literally the most selfless thing you can do, um, to carry someone else's child for them. It honestly is. And I, and I think 
even for Heather not having that like genetic connection with Camden, she had a hard time at the hospital too. And I think that regardless of, you know, how, I guess in my experience, cause I had done IVF and I had done it multiple times, conceiving naturally or conceiving by IVF didn't make much of a difference to me. Cause it was the whole, pro- I still knew that it was my child, but Heather had to go through IVF with another embryo. She had never gone through it before. So the whole initial process was different, but she'd also carried two children of her own. So once the baby is growing, it's all the same. And even if in her mind, she knew that getting there was much different. She didn't just have sex and get pregnant. Right. Um, when you have, when you do have the baby and, and then, you know, Camden is going home with his parents. I know for her that emotional, um, all the emotions she felt when we were leaving the hospital, I, I know was so hard on her. And I'm sure she would say today too, was probably one of the harder things that she had to do as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, plus I your think, hormones after birth and everything. Are totally. Just, and you have to remember the- too, all the things we do, like I'm still breastfeeding my daughter, even though I'm pregnant. And, you know, that's something that most women, after you give birth, your milk comes in and you're breastfeeding, you're not even having that. So your, your hormones are changing and then you're getting breast milk to provide for a baby that you don't mm-hmm. even have. In Heather's situation, it was different. Um, she actually couldn't provide breast milk. So that wasn't an issue, but still like she had a C-section. So her body's healing and so many hormonal changes that you're going through. And, um, I obviously didn't experience that, but I can only imagine how hard it was for her, that whole process. Yeah. So when she got pregnant with, for the first time, Jody with my dad, she actually had a miscarriage. Um, and so it was really hard because like she got pregnant, told them my parents were so excited. Right. And then she had a miscarriage and, um, they, again, they got that feeling of just like, what's wrong? Like, you yeah. know, and so um, the second time they, the second time it was me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so she, Jody actually had three kids of her own. And so, so she has two daughters and a, and a son. Um, mm-hmm. and she, when she was pregnant with Patrick, which I call her, I call all of them, like my brother and my sister, like we're all really close. My brother, Patrick married us. We're all really close. And it's always been that way. And I think like my parents, they always just told me from the get-go, like we grew up with them coming over to the house and like me playing with her kids. And so we've always grown up super close, but it is crazy. So she was pregnant with Patrick who actually was a twin, but she didn't know, like when she went in for her first appointment, they were like, Oh, there's two sacks here, but there's one baby. And I remember actually this past summer, I was sitting down with my brother and his wife. And I was like, you know what? I'm like, it's so crazy because I just have this feeling that if she was going to have both of those, like if she was going to have twins, it would have been a girl. I was like, uh-huh. I don't know. I just don't think there would have been two of Patrick. And my sister-in-law was like, that's funny that you say that because I always told Patrick that that baby came back as you. Wow. And I was just like, oh my God. Like it was just, it was it like, I got like full body chills. Like it was almost like, whoa, that's like true. Cause we're very yeah. similar and we look alike and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's crazy. So, so crazy. I always just think that like, obviously like my heart hurts for my mom that she had to go through that. Like I, I literally can't even imagine, you know, like 
what you've gone through, what my mom, like what so many women have gone through. Um, but I, it's like, I am the product of my dad and Jody. And I think to myself in some greater universe, like God was like, we need to get this man and this woman together somehow, how it went down in my situation. Like, it just felt like that's like my mom, like went through that so that I could be created. I don't know. I don't know if that sounds crazy. No, it doesn't. It does all make sense. And because how else would they ever have met? You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't be here. It's just, it's wild. So, and I know like you are, you know, anticipating like telling your son about this someday. And to Mm -hmm. me now at the point I'm at in my life, like, I just think it's more people to love growing up. And I think I will say, I think because I'm biologically related to Jody, like there was an aspect of that, that was hard for me growing up because I remember kids being like, you don't look anything like your mom and saying stuff like, are you like, people would ask me like, are you adopted? Like you look nothing like your mom. And I remember that like really hurt because I just wanted like this cookie cutter family, you know? And like, yeah, I would change my story to people too. Like people would be like, oh, how many siblings would you have? And sometimes I would say two, you know, like my mom's um, kids from her previous marriage, which I just say my sister and my brother, but like, yeah, I have two siblings. And then sometimes I would say I have five and people would be like, wow, your mom had a lot of kids. I'm like, yep. Because I just didn't want to get into the details. Yeah. And I think like growing up too, and why I said this is a benefit to your son that like, it's so much more common now. It's like back then, like in elementary school, like I remember telling people and they would be so confused. They would question me for like 20 minutes, like just kids, right? Like we're eight years old. Like they don't understand. And sometimes I would just like get into the story or whatever. Um, they'd be like, wait, so your dad had sex with your mom and then, or no, your dad had sex with this lady. And then she, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, and I would be so horrified. (laughs) I'm like, just forget it. You know, like, So I, it's, it's kind of funny because now that I think about it, like, I feel like I've almost held on to that narrative in my head because I'm, it's not a secret. Like I will tell, I'll tell anyone that I get close to like my story. It's not anything I'm ashamed of, but I think like that narrative is still in me a little bit. Like I'm not like public service announcement. Like I have a surrogate mom because I love her. Like I love her family, but it's just like, I think from hearing over and over from people, like people being like, oh, that's weird or whatever, just like kids being kids and like not getting it. It is part of me that always felt like just different. But now I have a totally different outlook and especially just being a mom now and like learning about what my mom went through and like learning about like the choice that Jody made for our family and like it's just, I have so much respect for everyone on both sides and it's like made me who I am today. And Paul, I just, I mean, I look a lot like Jody. I'll have to send you a picture after we get off the call. Yes, but, um, I would love to see. But yeah, like we've always stayed in touch and we, and we're like, you know, we chat quite a bit and my sister, her daughter just had a baby. So her son and Crosby are like 10 months apart. And then my sister-in-law, so my brother's wife, she's due mm. on Christmas day. So like, we're all going to have nieces and nephews, like close in age. Yeah. And it's just, it's so special because like they call me, um, their sister and stuff. And like, I I will say, I think like a hard aspect for me is like, I, 
I, I mean, like I am from a blended family, I guess. And so I think I always like longed for that, like sibling, you know, like that, like right. full sibling. And so I would say that was probably the hardest part for me growing up is like, I never had that. Um, cause I did almost grow up like an only child since my parents are older and my mom's first two children are so much older. Um, yeah. I was really like the only one growing up in the house. And so I always like longed for that you know, sibling, um, sibling connection. Yeah, exactly. But now it's, it just feels normal. Like, do I wish I had that? Yeah. But it's part of my story and like, it makes me who I am. So I, I wouldn't change it now. No, it's something like I'd said to you before, it's something I think about so often how, and I, I think I feel very similar to your parents, that I want Camden to decide what type of relationship he wants with Heather. And, you know, if he doesn't feel he wants any relationship, that's his choice. Um, I have a relationship with her and I, and I always will. And and that's my choice. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, like you said, when you're young and you're a kid, there's so many things. And those are the things I think about that because I have Kala and because they're only four and a half months apart, they are going to be in the same grade in school and mm-hmm, people true. are going to think they're twins, but they're not twins. And so how is that going to go about? And I, it just hurts me to my core that there might be some kid that might say, so you were adopted and you weren't, or, and my this, not that this has anything to do with it, but my son has red hair and I had red hair as a baby and my grandfather had red hair and my aunt has red hair. So it's from my side, but I have had people ask me, did your surrogate have red hair? Mm-hmm. And, and it's that, painful. It shouldn't bother me so much, but it does. And I feel, I feel the need right away to get so defensive. Like, mm-hmm. well, no, but also that doesn't matter because she has no genetic connection to him. I shouldn't have to say that. And I shouldn't feel like I need to, but I think that's my own insecurities that like, no, he's mine. He gets it from me, but you know, some it's usually kind of, an older generation that will say those things or someone that just doesn't quite know surrogacy or much about infertility or everything science can provide nowadays. And that I'm so thankful for. Um, but yeah, I do always think about that. It, you know, I hope he doesn't get made fun of, or I know one day, just like you said, when he's your age and older, he's going to be so appreciative of his journey and how he, how Heather brought him here. And, and I would hope he would be proud of me as a mom and, and how I continue to, you know, fight through struggle to have him. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's going to take a while to get there. I mean, I totally understand. Like I would feel the exact same way because of everything that you've done to get him here. And I think like, I remember like, even people say this to me today, which is so just weird, but like, because my parents are older, people will say, Oh, you must've been an accident. And I always say, actually the exact opposite. I was so wanted. I was so wanted. You have no idea. Like people say that about Cala too. Like, yeah, she was an oopsie. Okay. She was a surprise. Absolutely. She was not an oopsie. Let me tell you every single month that I could potentially try to get pregnant and had an option, like, especially when we figured out what was going on, um, had an, a plan to potentially carry a pregnancy. I was doing it like, no, she was not an accident accident at all. Yes. It was it hard having kids four and a half months apart. Absolutely. It's not normal. 
I don't have anyone to roll, to confide in, to ask what they did when their son was four and a half months and they had a newborn. Yeah. Um, but it's a whole other episode. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but we were also trying for four years to have a family. So, and you, you know, will take our, it. <laughs> yeah. If our modern day Irish twins are different and not what people are used to, then that's okay with me, but it's per- it's perfect for us. So, yeah. And I love your story. I think that's amazing. And obviously I'm sure that was very like overwhelming and stressful to have two kids four months apart, but like you <laughs> wouldn't how I feel it. in two months when we have three kids under two. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, oh my God. What? I didn't, oh my, yes. you're yes. That's insane. So I'm actually my son's birth. He'll be two on January 29th and I'm due January 20th. So they're just under two, but still. Oh my Lord. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like it's, I think it's all about how you explain it. Like, it's like, I looking back, I can't even remember when my parents told me they were just always there. Um, but yeah, like now that you say that, um, your kids will be in the same class and they're only four months apart. I definitely see why that would come up because I was thinking, oh, well, you know, he's going to look like his parents. And so like, he might not have those issues, but like, yeah, like people might question, wait, what? Huh? So who like, yeah. you know, and it's like for a kid, I mean, like now I can process and understand those feelings that I had, but it was like very triggering for me. Like, I was like, I just want to be normal. Like, I don't want people to question me. Yeah. Um, but I think like, just and that's all that you want as a kid, right? Like you don't, you don't want to be different. You want to be normal. You want to fit in. You don't want to have a different story than everyone else. Yeah. And then almost as you get older, you, you kind of feel very appreciative for like the uniqueness of your background and your story. Totally. But totally. when you're young, you just don't quite understand that. Yeah. Just telling him like you were so wanted and you yes. like, we wanted you so bad. You have no idea. And if like anybody ever asks you those questions, like tell them that, tell them like it makes you unique or you have more people that love you and so many people that were fighting for you. And I think like that's something that like I had to keep reminding myself of when I was like going through it. Like, even though it just like felt like it, it was just an insecurity, um, yeah. you know, and, and, um, people don't understand and people still don't understand. Like I tell people, I mean, for them, like I can explain to people and they get it quicker. Obviously it's like, we're adults. Like we understand, we can, yeah. we can process these things like more quickly than like before where I have to tell the story for like 30 minutes. Um, with people asking questions, but like, it's people don't get it. And then like the, it's just like, okay, let's just, let's just, I'm just going to, like you said, like, it's just easier to just say they're twins because I just don't want to get into it. And I think it's a, a, a thing for me. I'm like, does this person feel safe for me to tell this story to Like, are they going to get it? Are they going to understand? And like, LOL, broadcasting this on a podcast, but, um, (laughs) my, it's my podcast. That's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll share with everyone, but, um, yeah, I think it's beautiful. And I think it's amazing. You know, the sacrifice that surrogates make for families. And it's also really makes you strong to do that because that's, it's not easy to, and I mean, as thankful and blessed as you are, I definitely think like maybe that feeling is, was still a little bit there for my mom of like watching another person you know, carry their child. And like, I don't know if you feel that way at all. Obviously she was so grateful, but like, it's still like, I wish that could have been me kind of feeling. 
100%. And I, I think, I, I mean, I found out I was pregnant with Kala almost half, exactly halfway through um, our surrogate's pregnancy. And so I feel like the second half was a little bit different because I, I did know that I was carrying myself, like carrying a baby myself. Um, but I, I always, always longed, like, I wish that I carried Camden and I wish that, you know, um, I would have been able to do that and that I didn't have to ask for help or that I didn't have to have someone else do it for me. Um, but I will forever be so grateful to Heather and everything she sacrificed and her selflessness and her family and how welcoming they were to me and, and my family. Um, and you know, they, she was brought into my life because of our situation and I'll never, ever regret that. Um, but I definitely would be lying if I said I didn't always, you know, wish it was me that carried it. And I think that's, that's completely normal. And like, even if she listens to this episode, you know, she would understand that. Like that's 100% a natural feeling, um, to feel. And so did with your third, that congratulations, by the way, very exciting. Thank you. (laughs) Um, okay. So we don't know if it's a boy or a girl. I'm going to have to try to like think about what I feel like it's going to be. Um, cause I feel like I'm good at <laughs> guessing and I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> okay. but, um, did you conceive naturally or did you do an IVF round or what was, what happened there? We, um, so, um, I, my daughter was about 10, just a little bit over 10 months when I found out I was pregnant. It was very natural. I never got a cycle back and I was still exclusively breastfeeding my daughter. So I actually didn't think I could get pregnant. And I know, of course I was that one that was like, Oh, I haven't gotten a period back yet and I'm still breastfeeding. So So I don't need to go on birth control. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But we knew we wanted more kids and I knew I wanted another one, like somewhat close to their age. Um, But it was definitely a major surprise to us when I found out it was kind of, I actually, we were on our way home from the Bahamas and I was breastfeeding my daughter. And I said to my husband, like, Oh, like my breasts are really tender. Like they're kind of hurting. And I didn't really think anything of it, but then I started kind of doing the math and I had had like one cycle really brief at one, like two months before. And, but nothing was regulated and my body definitely wasn't like back to normal but I was like, maybe I'm pregnant. And he was like, no, there's no way. Like, yeah, there's no way. And then the next day I got home, we got home and we were packing up to move back to Canada. And I was like, you know what? I should just buy a pregnancy test and just, just see, cause I feel a little off and it went pregnant right away. Oh my gosh. And I and thought, how my did you feel? Were you like, holy <laughs> effing hell? Or were you like, I mean, obviously I'm sure it was just a shock because you have two young kids. <laughs> uh, honestly, I was in shock for sure, but I was also so excited because what a blessing. It's such a blessing. And like, even with Kala, um, I was actually um, due to go on medication to induce lactation because I wanted to breastfeed Camden. Um, and so I was waiting to get a period, um, in order to start all that medication, which basically tricks your body into thinking you're pregnant so that you can produce breast milk. Um, and I, I know, did you breastfeed both of them? 
so Camden wouldn't latch. I tried. Um, and he, oh, you probably won't want to use this, but we went to a lactation consultant to get him to, to attempt to latch. And he like, there was milk spraying all over the lactation room. We tried to put a nipple shield on. He bit it and spit it across the room. Oh my and Lord. The, the lactation consultant was just laughing at me. Like, I don't think he's going to latch. So I did give him breast milk in a bottle um, for a long time. I pumped and gave him bottled breast milk, but he had been bottle fed for four months at that point. So he really wasn't interested in learning to breastfeed. Uh, but he did like my breast milk. So I was lucky enough that I could feed him that way. Yeah. Um, I was just curious because I, I always think about like, oh my God, twin moms are just like in your situation. Yes. I'm like, how the hell? Like feeding with like, him, one- I wouldn't have been able to do it in the beginning because um, I was like, I'll always be a high risk pregnancy. Um, I should probably get into what I they diagnosed me with at some point too. I will always be a high risk pregnancy. So um, they wouldn't have allowed me to attempt to breastfeed him because I was only like 22 weeks along when he was born. And sometimes that can induce early term labor. So it wasn't even an option until I gave birth. And then he was just too old by the time I gave birth to want to latch. Um, but like I said, he loved it in a bottle. So I was lucky enough that I had enough milk to be able to like pump and feed him bottled breast milk. Yeah. For a while, I... I think I did it um, at least until he was over a year. Um, and then my, I noticed my supply kind of dipped a bit. And obviously primary baby that needed my nutrients was Kala, my daughter, um, because he was having formula and was perfectly fine. So right, right, I kind right. of stopped after a year. And then with Kala, um, I haven't stopped yet, although she's really not that interested anymore because it tastes different. Um so I would say it's been almost a month now where like before she used to ask and then now she doesn't really ask sometimes, but she's not really that interested. Yeah. <laughs> I feel um, like we have so much to like talk about with each other. I'm like, we could, this could be a, I know I just episode. looked at the clock and I was like three 30. Oh my gosh. I know my husband texts me. He's like, um, hello. <laughs> like, <laughs> Are you alive? Yeah. So I what were you diagnosed with? And this was, so, this was like, like diagnosed with as to why the miscarriages kept happening. Right. Yes. So when our surrogate was, uh, about three months along four maybe four months along with Camden, um, I had another miscarriage and this one was, I would say around eight or nine weeks, eight weeks, probably. Um, and Candace, the nurse I was mentioning earlier, Um, she ran a whole bunch of tests and I ended up finding out that when I miscarried and she called me that she actually was misdiagnosed. She also had multiple miscarriages or recurrent miscarriages as I call them. And she was misdiagnosed and, um, had to get a hysterectomy. And she also, so she had two kids with a previous husband and then remarried and her and her husband wanted more kids. And they, had to, well, they got a surrogate to carry, um, their biological twins. And so she said to me, like, I will not allow you to give up without having a proper diagnosis. Like we will get to the bottom of this. We will find out why this is happening. And, um, I love her. That's so awesome that she was advocating so much for you. She honestly is, I think infertility can, you can have lots of different experiences and it, I think sometimes it can be, this sounds so terrible, but 
a little bit of like, um, like a, a money grab in a sense, like you go there and it, it can be like that. And sometimes well, yeah, you feel like you don't have anyone in your corner. For sure. I mean, like it, it does, it is expensive to do yeah. these tests and to try it, you know, IVF, everything. It's like, I mean, I've seen like GoFundMes for this because they're like, we're totally trying so hard to have a baby, but we can't afford it. And like, you know, and it's, it's exactly. Yeah. And like, totally there's good. kind of, um, like a, I find when you start IVF, there's like a one shoe, like shoe size fits all that they throw on women, but everyone is so different and every body is so different. And so with Candace, she ended up running a huge panel of tests on me. And she was like, I think we need to treat you for antiphospholipid syndrome, which is basically a disorder where you have um, blood clotting and it's only pregnancy related. And so you will end up miscarrying because you will essentially have so many blood clots towards the placenta that when the, the placenta is supposed to take over to help grow and nurture the baby, it basically the, it won't be allowed to do that. And so the baby will unfortunately pass um, because it's not getting proper blood flow or proper oxygen to be able to, to continue growing and breathing. Um, and you can have multiple recurrent miscarriages from this. And so she felt like uh, they want, they needed to treat me for antiphospholipid syndrome and as well as, um, let me pull this, a reproductive, a reproductive autoimmune disorder, which is basically where um, when you get pregnant, your body sees it as something foreign and attacks it. And so that was kind of the reasoning why I was having all these miscarriages between like eight and 12 weeks and, um, and all these embryos that were, that had nothing genetically wrong to them. And I was having no issue getting pregnant. Um, I mean, mind you, I did have endometriosis, so it wasn't always easy to get pregnant. We did struggle with infertility when I had that at the time. Um, but it was obviously, I was having an issue staying pregnant. So, um, she said, if you get pregnant again, we are going to treat you with, basically it was a protocol where I would take, um, a needle in my stomach every day. I call it's called Lovenox and it thins your blood. And then a couple different pills, um, that would counteract my immune system to get it from attacking the baby. Um, and so that next month was the last month that I had before I would start inducing lactation for Camden. And, um, my husband and I were just, the doctors had said to me, you know, just be careful. Um, because obviously if you get pregnant, you can't start the medication. And so my husband and I kind of talked about it and I was like, I'm not being careful. We've spent four years. Like if I get pregnant, then Candace said, she's going to start this protocol and we'll give it a try. Like, let's just not worry about it. And whatever happens happens. And luckily we got pregnant with Kala and they put, got me on all the medication right away. Um, all the needles and blood thinners I needed to be on and the pills I needed to take. And, um, I'm so thankful to say that she was healthy and I was able to carry her. I had to be induced at 39 weeks because of my blood thinners and the complications that can come of it, but she was a healthy baby and, uh, everything worked out great. So Thank, so awesome. thank you, Candace, because thank she's you, Candace. basically the reason, yeah, that I have another little one on the way and that oh. I have Kala. 
Oh my goodness. See, she, like, I truly believe that people like that are like angels. Like they are angels. And even with this pregnancy as well. So you can imagine, obviously this sense of kind of like anxiety and fear that I get Mm -hmm. anytime I see a positive pregnancy test. Um, And so she was able to get me on all of my medication. So I, this time around has been a little bit different. My levels haven't quite, um, with Cal, I was really fortunate. My blood levels stayed pretty stagnant and similar throughout the whole pregnancy, but this time they fluctuated. So I actually take two needles a day. Um, I give myself one in the morning and one in the evening. Um, but I haven't had to take any of the autoimmune, um, the reproductive autoimmune protocol because, uh, they think my body kind of regulated itself after Kala. So when I got pregnant this time, it didn't see it as anything foreign. So it, it allowed it to kind of grow in a better environment. Oh my goodness. Well, I am so happy for you. And when are you due? I'm due January 20th. So that's my, my full term with the just like disease I have. Okay. Um, and you might be, need to be induced earlier than that. Uh, no. So that would be when they would induce me. Um, okay. but I'm, ho- I would, I'm hoping, um, that I might not need to be this time around. I'm with a different clinic here in, cause I was in Nashville when I had Cala and I'm in, um, Pennsylvania now. So the high risk clinic that I see here works a little bit differently. Um, so they've kind of told me that, uh, we will just, I see a doctor every two weeks and I get my blood work taken very, very, very frequently. So, um, I'll just be monitored really closely, um, towards the end, probably multiple times a week. And then we'll kind of go from there, uh, especially seeing as it's, it would be like my second full-term pregnancy. Um, hopefully, um, I might go into labor earlier. I just don't really know, but at this moment, um, we haven't scheduled or really decided fully on induction. We'll have to kind of like wait. They're allowing me to wait and see. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I feel like we'll have to talk again at some point yes. and just catch up because I feel like we're like bonded now after just talking and swapping stories and just like I know. having reverse situations and surrogacy. And I'm so excited for your new addition. And just thank you for being so vulnerable and open. And like, I, I honestly just think it's so amazing. You know, I've had a couple girls on the podcast that have shared about like miscarriages or fertility journeys. And I'm just really honored that you chose to share that with me and with the podcast audience, because it really helps so many people to not feel alone. So I'm super grateful for you. Obviously we follow each other on Instagram, so I'll be yes. stalking your life well, <laughs> and, you're, you so and you're three under two. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It actually was very like therapeutic for me to open up and talk about my story again. And, um, if I can help anyone going through something similar, uh, that's, that's what I want to do. So I, I have big aspirations on hopefully being able to make, turn my story into a positive and, and help, uh, couples that may go through something similar one day. So hopefully, um, being able to open up about my journey and continue to do it. will get me there. So we'll see. (laughs) 